Opening prelude to the Nutcracker Ballet Suite by Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky, Opus 71, here on AM 820 WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk. I kind of have my NPR classical music voice on this evening. Uh, You're listening to a special extended Christmas Eve edition, three-hour Christmas Eve edition of Kitchen Table Progressive here on WCPT. I'll be with you. Uh, and those of you who are who are wondering, well, where is uh, where is the the family meeting? You're not confused. The family meeting will be on a, sort of an extended holiday vacation uh, for about the next four weeks. They'll return uh, with live programming um, on January 21st, Sunday, January 21st. In the meantime, I will be with you, Paul Richardson here, with you uh, this Sunday evening. Uh, Christmas Eve, wishing you a, a Merry Christmas, and also next Sunday evening, uh, where I'll wish you a Happy New Year as well. Uh, this first hour, I'd like to talk about some uh, Christmas Eve or cr- Christmas traditions. Uh, 12 slash one of them being the um, the Nutcracker Ballet, uh, which you know you may have thought was a you know a forever tradition. Uh, uh, but actually, it's a relatively new tradition. Uh, it might surprise you to learn. I'll talk a little bit about, about the ballet. Uh, 
Tchaikovsky, Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky, uh, it was his last work, work Opus 71, uh, published in 1892, and it, uh, it, it pr- premiered, debuted on stage as a ballet in Saint, opening in St. Petersburg, Russia. Not a great success, <laughs> believe it or not. It was uh, kind of a flop, uh, and uh, there are probably some reasons for that. Um, even the maestro himself was was not entirely happy with it. Not not just because it, it did not get good reviews or it was not well received. He, he didn't think that maybe it was his his best work. Um, I don't know why that's enough to give him cholera and make him sick uh, and die the next year. But uh, it, I mean, it wasn't that bad, obviously, right? Uh, but what happened was uh, the ballet uh, was in two acts. The first act was mostly children. Uh, it was staged with children because it is based on a novelette, uh, a story by uh, E.T.A. Hoffman, uh, who was a, a novelist from the early 19th century. This, this particular, the, the Nutcracker, was, was based on a story, a novelette called The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. And E.T.A. Hoffman uh, wrote several, many of these stories that were kind of uh, you know, inanimate objects becoming personified, coming to, re- to full, full life. And this was the same with the Nutcracker uh, Ballet. It was at, uh, how it was presented also in the story, that the, the Nutcracker became a real live thing, and, and the Mouse King, it was a, this sort of war with the Mouse King. A, a little girl by the name of Clara um, you know, received this Nutcracker from Uncle uh, um, for, for Christmas Eve, and... Um, it, you know, Big Brother broke it, and so there it lay under the Christmas tree, and she was very disappointed. But then she got up later, you know, uh, and came out to, to the Christmas tree and, and found it there. And, and that's where the dream, that's where her Clara's dream, sometimes she's called Marie or Clara Marie, that's where her dream begins. And so much of the first act were children on stage and all of the goodies, the uh, Christmas goodies that they had in those days, uh, Sugar plums, you know, there's the dance of the sugar plum fairy. That comes actually in the second act. But the, what they called character dances. So of all of these different things, tea and chocolate. Uh, chocolate was the French dancing and tea was... Uh, and the, the Russian dance, which we'll hear later uh, at the end of this hour, was the candy canes that she was imagining and enjoying. And so the, the, the first act was much of what is called character dancing and different sort of different, different ethnicities. But it was children doing it. And the, the audience was a little confused about this because, you know, they came to see a professional ballet with ballerinas and such. such. Uh, but uh, the ballerina actually, you know, the prima, the principal, the ballerina doesn't actually appear in the Nutcracker until about halfway through, midway through the, the second act, which is sort of a bit late. Uh, so I, I think the audience was confused as to, well, what is this? Is this a children's pr- pr- production or... It's. I mean, the music was fine, but they were expecting, you know, uh, something, something more. Speakers, one hundred percent. I think more elaborate, uh, because uh, just two years earlier, in um, in eighteen ninety, uh, Tchaikovsky had published and staged Sleeping Beauty, uh, and Sleeping Beauty, of course. Well, first of all, Sleeping Beauty was a it was very, very well received. Um, 
Uh, and Sleeping Beauty being an older story, everybody knew it um, already with the story of Sleeping Beauty. We all know the story of Sleeping Beauty. I mean, Sleeping Beauty was written in 1549. And so it was easy to write um, a play, a, a, you know, a ballet out of it. By the way, uh, the choreographer for Nutcracker, a man by the name of Marius Patepa, or Peter Patepa, uh, who is probably the premier choreographer of all the 19th century, choreographs everything. He was the one who, so he did a good job, I'm sure, but the, the fact that the first act was pretty much all children dancing, and they're not professional dancers at that point. Um, by the way, E.T.A. Hoffman wrote another uh, book, uh, or yeah, another type of book, uh, which was used in the ballet Coppelia, which uh, was uh, staged by um, Leo Delibes, a uh, French composer, and it's called the ballet is called Coppelia. It's very funny. It's a comedic ballet. Again, uh, do- uh, you know, magic dolls that come to life and can dance, and uh, it's very much the same thing. But the Nutcracker just seemed not to have the gravitas that Sleeping Beauty, and, and certainly, uh, you know, not the surfeit of profundity that that um, uh, certainly Swan Lake. I mean, Swan Lake was the you know probably thought of as the greatest ballet ever written in 1775 when Tchaikovsky published that. Uh, not. Not quite. Uh, it still is probably one of the grand ballets of all time, uh, Swan Lake. But uh, obviously, the Nutcracker at that time didn't quite add up to that. Um, and the Nutcracker System clock. Uh, 15 p.m. never uh, Speakers. got out of Russia even until 1934. So, uh, you know, a good, uh, what, f- over 40 years later, 42 years later, it was, it was staged in London. Um, but never made it even to the United States as a full production until 1944. Um, the San Francisco Ballet took it on, and they still do run it as an annual production each year. Um, so they they were the first. The San Francisco Ballet was the first to take it on, and then it really took off, frankly, in 1954 when the uh, the New York City Ballet under the great George Balanchine took up the, the 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 Nutcracker, and of course George Balanchine was the, you know, he was the the great uh, ballet master of the United States, and had the New York City Ballet was such an impressive uh, group at that time. There were only two, uh, maybe not only two, but New York City Ballet and American Ballet Theater were the great ones in 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 New York City. Uh, but Balanchine was the master, and that's when the Nutcracker, 1954, was when the Nutcracker really became, you know, a real, a real popular tradition here in the United States. Um, so, by the way, New York City Ballet, uh, <laughs> you could always recognize the men. Black tights and white t-shirts. <laughs> that was it. That's as much as they got. They didn't get any uh, lavish costuming as the ladies did. Uh, and probably, you know, really up until uh, there weren't any great ballerino, male ballerinos to do in the beginning. It was, you know, the, the males really didn't, uh, even probably Vasilov Nijinsky, who was thought of as the first great Russian ballerino, male ballerino, probably. Uh, I've seen some very old film of him, and 
they didn't really have him do very much in terms of not compared to what we would think of uh, with uh, Rudolf Nureyev uh, or, or certainly uh, um, Mikhail Baryshnikov. Um, one interesting thing about about the Nutcracker that I would like to share with you. So you're all familiar with the, the scale, like ba 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 ba. Am I in tune? Ba 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 do re mi fa so la ti do no do ti la so fa mi re do. Well, um, is it a good melody? You know, that's what we make melodies out of. But it's like, is cloth good? Is is cloth a nice a nice thing to wear? You know, you have to kind of make a, a garment out of it. Well, uh, a friend of of uh, Tchaikovsky asked him, "Do you think you, uh, Maestro, could you could you make a theme out of?" Out of the just the scale itself, um, Richardson Internet speakers, um, Richardson Internet access uh, speakers, system clock five nineteen. So he said, uh, he said, just the scale. He said, yeah, just just, just a theme from the scale itself. And Tchaikovsky said, mm, does it have to be the ascending? You know, the da 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 da, da or 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 can I be just descending? Da 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 and the, and this friend said it doesn't it doesn't matter I guess so uh, Tchaikovsky came up with and you think about it just sort of push those notes around if you have a piano and you know how to play a G scale um, I'm saying G scale because I'm setting you up for something obviously but uh, um, the Tchaikovsky had something in mind which I think turns out to be. Uh, one of the most uh, beautiful uh, melodies ever written on the scale. Believe it or not, it's uh, now you've heard, you know, the melody from uh, was it Sound of Music? Do a deer, a female deer, ray a drop of golden sun. Well, that's not that. That's using the scale, but there's a lot of other notes in between that that melody is based on. So it's not it's not really you know, just using the scale. That's kind of a, you know, taking a few more liberties than I think was intended in this particular, uh, in this particular, uh, what, <laughs> wager or, or challenge that the, uh, that the friend uh, of the maestro had in mind just to use the scale Speakers. and, uh, you know, I'm thinking. You know, can, can you do it? Can you go? Let's say so. Let's say we we have the um, we have the uh, the the scale da 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 da. Or how about this da 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 da? Does, does it sound like a great melody? Um, well, no, it's, it's not going to be a big hit, is it? Nah, probably not. Not a great big hit. Uh, at least not one that you can immediately put your finger on if you know what i mean you know it's because those are the only notes you get to use so what tchaikovsky being you know a, the great orchestrator that he was by the way born in uh 1840 the maestro uh, Pyotr Ilyich tchaikovsky born in 1840 died in 1893 uh, of cholera in in russia in St. Petersburg, uh, but uh, never got to, never knew the the joy that his that his Nutcracker would bring to the world. Um, 
you know, so many at Christmas time. So many. He started writing this, by the way, in 1867. Uh, he started writing the, the little, playing it on the piano for the family, the little pieces, the little pieces of the suite. And, um, Action Center, uh, system clock, 5.22 p.m. He was, uh, that's, that's when he uh, first came up with it. And then it didn't, it wasn't staged until, you know, 1892. So that was, what, 25 years later did the staging of the, uh, of the ballet actually come on. And then, you know, Maybe he thought it was, all of those pieces were too familiar to him already, and you know, he thought, "Oh, this is, I, I know all these things." Maybe he thought people would like him, and you think, "Oh, it was too commonly." You know, he thought maybe that they just wouldn't. But it turned out to be, I think, the staging because when they started using, uh, you know, the Mouse King and and listen to this melody, and you will see the brilliance of Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky's dramatics. And here's the scale that was the most beautiful of all. That's just the scale right there. Then he uses the minor scale here to give another example of the theme in minor. Brilliant.
The Grand Padadour from the Nutcracker Ballet Suite by Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky. I, just a, I think just one of the most brilliant pieces of music. The dramatics. You see what he did with the with the scale passage. Just da 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 da. That's it. That's it's the G, it's the G major scale. And then he does the E minor. Da 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 da. E minor scale. It's just that's it. That and it's what it says to me. It's just that it, when you see such simplicity, what brilliance comes out of such simplicity. But what he did with it, the dramatics, all the dramatics of the orchestration, which was uh, what made what makes it so beautiful. So uh, part of why our it, it's become a Christmas tradition in America, very much ballet tickets. Pretty much on sale everywhere, uh, all cities around around the nation, around the country. So, what are your Christmas traditions? Do you have? And, and by the way, uh, I'm taking calls here. I'd love to hear what yours are uh, at seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. That's seven seven three seven six three WCPT. Uh, what are your Christmas traditions? Uh, we've had a few over the years. Um, I remember when, um, well, of course, when I was young, uh, there was the go get the Christmas tree, right? That's the, we could get live Christmas trees and go cut our own. Dad would go and we'd cut our own and that was a, a an outing, um, the family did before Christmas. Probably we did that, oh, just sometime after Thanksgiving. Maybe not right away after Thanksgiving. Because remember, <laughs> if you get your tree too early, if it, in live trees in those days, in our houses were, you know, kind of dry. Uh, I grew up in Michigan in the Midwest. So, you know, the, the furnaces, forest air furnaces, the house was a bit dry. You know, things were. Uh, and so if you, if you got your tree too early, mom always wondered, you know, where did the needles will be falling off before Christmas, and not only that, uh, you know, it's too dry, and in those days, remember the the big lights, the, the, the I love those, the, the big blue, what's it, blue, red, white, green lights that were kind of big, and they were kind of hot, too, if you left them on for too long. So, um, you know, that was why we got the tree a little bit later and of course no matter how much water you put in the base of the tree it just sucks it right up and it still dries dries a bone by the time you drag it out the door uh, you know kind of like after after uh new year's it's every just dragging it along the floor and out the door it lost every needle you have to get the vacuum out and vacuum the whole place up but um that you know go out and get the christmas tree and cut a live one they'd let you cut a live one they give you a, a saw or you could bring a saw of your own and choose the one you want and um, then another one another tradition that we did for quite a long time was do, do you know what hard tack candy is you know so you get these uh it's just sugar and you get you boil down sugar when you when you boil it off when you boil, boil the water off is when it becomes hard tack so it becomes thick and then Mom had all these different flavors that you would put in, you know, into the these this sugary slurry 
uh, at a certain point, and you, there's a candy thermometer you put in there. I think it has to get up to 350 because you know, but boiling water. So you're boiling, you're boiling it down. Boiling water only water only boils out 212 degrees, and so you have to boil a lot of water off, reduce it, and that's how the sugar comes together. And then uh, mom would put in the the flavoring. It was some kind of flavoring oil, you know, like, uh, oh, there were a bunch of flavors. What do I remember? There was orange, wintergreen, lemon. It was one of my favorite ones. I like the orange and the lemon the best. Oh, and then there were a couple that were, were really... Um, you know, uh, cleared your nose out. Um, System clock. Uh, p.m. The ones that the ones that really cleared your nose out were the the we had uh, peppermint and spearmint and anise. I, I, the peppermint and the spearmint when when those uh, went in. Oh boy, that was so. That would just that would clean your. If you had a cold, that, if you were in the kitchen, then that would clear the sinuses out. Boy, I'll tell you right there. Um, System clock. Okay, uh, we'll get to call in just a minute. Um, but yeah, uh, it was uh, really cleared things out. And then what you do is you you take this syrup, this thick syrup, and you pour it out on a like a cookie sheet that's got uh, um, what uh, it's got powdered sugar on it. And you pour it out there, and it's really hot, like viscous, thick. And then you got what we do is we put it outside in the cold, you know, on the porch to to harden. And then you bring it back in when it's kind of like, it's just kind of bendy, and you can either cut it up with scissors, or we learned actually to leave it out there a long time until it gets hard, and then just bash it with a hammer <laughs> and break it up into little shards, what we did with that. But anyway. Okay, so we have a, a caller, and uh, my good friend Jim uh, is on the line. Jim, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Paul. I was just thinking about Russia in the 19th century. Now, Dostoevsky is my favorite uh, author of all time. I devoured everything by him. And I'm embarrassed to say that I really didn't take up classical music. Uh, and yet I had cousins that lived in the same neighborhood as me that went to Juilliard. That's how bright they were. But I just kind of ignored it. But I I really uh, caught up. Since Trump has been elected, I listened to it. I've got to get about three hours of it a day because... Otherwise, I go bananas. But I was going to say that uh, I've entertained a few Russians, and I always try to get them back to that century because it seemed like uh, they seemed to be so interested in money, whereas that century was more of a probing um you know, you try to probe the emotions of a human being rather than mm-hmm. rather than just uh, materialism. Yeah, I, the, I do. I know what you mean anyway, about that. I, yeah, so in other words, you're uh, saying that you're saying the the Russian people that you have met yeah. uh, seem to be more uh, mon- mon- focused on money. Yes. Well, well they, they, for yeah. various reasons, they went through the communist revolution. They, they, they had the, yeah. and actually, you know, the economy was an underground economy, etc. Yeah. But they had such rich traditions. I mean, look at look at Tchaikovsky with his. Absolutely. I mean, the beautiful music, the beautiful music he played, and uh, uh, I think it's Ibsen, isn't Ibsen the Dauhaus and uh, mm-hmm. just the uh, just the, the marvelous literature and music. 
And they went into the dark ages. You know, they went into the dark ages. Uh, so, I'm not sure you're all well, going to dark. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Dostoevsky, I've read uh, Brothers Karamazov, and that was interesting. I mean, that's a really a, a good study in Russian culture in terms of what what the people are like, what the Russian people were like. They seem very much like, I guess they kind of seem like, the way they talk to you, they're kind of more like my grandparents' generation. They actually seem, or, or maybe my great-grandparents, I didn't know them very well, but. They seem to have that, uh, yeah, you, you get to know them as a people, and you do with, with Tolstoy as well. Um, and, but, and, and then and Crime and Punishment, <laughs> I tell you, you've read that one, I'm sure you have, uh, Jim. Sure, but, sure, yeah. uh, Ra- Rachkonikov, I'll tell you what, the, the guy who was the, the murderer, I, I never could, <laughs> I couldn't find one ounce of sympathy for that guy. I don't care how much hell he went through in his mind, it was his own fault. <laughs> But you're right. Um, the, the literature, and I've read, um, oh, uh, what have I read? I've I read um, Dr. Zhivago, uh, another, but that took place during the revolution. It was kind of d- depressing. Um, but you're right. I think the, the Russian culture was very, very rich, and they were a proud people. Uh, I also, I read, I read um, War and Peace, and did you know the War and Peace was actually supposed to be two books? It was the first half of the book was supposed to be called uh, entitled the year eighteen oh six, and that was all the the first half where they talk about how they were, uh, you know, all the stuff they did, the drinking contests, and then the they got the hunt, you know, the the fox hunt, and it was all very fascinating. And then uh, Tolstoy tacked on the you know Napoleon's invasion uh, in eighteen twelve, which <laughs> didn't turn out well, <laughs> did it? Uh, no, he had ended up having to turn around and, but yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with you that, um, it was, they had a, they had a very rich culture and a very proud culture. And I think the revolution and which was just a trick, it was a trick for, uh, maybe there was, because, you know, in, in Anna Karenina in Tolstoy's Anna Karenina, they talk about, you know, they talk about should we go to liberalism? Liberalism being not governed by a monarchy—that's what it means. So, uh, in those days, and and then so, the, what happened was the revolution, which was supposed to be a revolution of liberalism, became uh, which it was supposed to be communism, but where, where the people governed themselves. But it ended up being a a trick and a, a big false promise, and turned out to be totalitarian. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. Uh, and who was the who was the uh, real quick about that? Just real quick. He had a really interesting life. He he was proverbially taken out of the prison, ready to be shot, and a person rolled up with a with a you know a, a plea from the governor, whoever it was, to spare his life and put him back in prison. So he he really had a uh, it was you know uh, he lived by his wits. He lived absolutely by his wits. In those days, didn't make a lot of money, but. But who was uh, who was who was killed out of Mexico City that uh, was part of the ring, you know, with Lenin and uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, he was assassinated in Mexico City. Uh, oh, uh, by, by Stalin. I don't know the answer. I, I don't yeah, know. Really. Was, I don't know the it, yeah, it was. Uh, oh my God, I, I can't think of his name. But anyway, uh, dear God, I can't think of it. But anyway, he uh, what. It was like a three-point revolution. He he must have represented the the, the part that uh, 
Trotsky. I'm thinking of Leon Trotsky. Oh, Trotsky, yeah. Trotsky, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, he must have been like a, uh, a more liberal part of communism or something. I don't know why he ended up in Mexico City and... Uh, you know, Diego Rivera was a buddy of his down there in Mexico City, and they had a communist party, but it must have been a more liberal kind of communism, the Stalins and so on. Anyway, Paul. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, uh, Trotsky and Lenin, uh, did you know there's a, there's a big statue of, of Vladimir Lenin, the one that it came from Russia, it's, it stands underneath the Ship Canal Bridge. Uh, or no, it's, I think it's the Fremont Bridge here in Seattle. Somebody bought it, and it stands underneath the bridge, uh, and there's also a statue of a troll down there. So uh, Lenin is the, the statue of Lenin and the troll are down there together underneath the Fremont Bridge, which is right by the, the ship canal that runs from uh, Lake Union and Lake Washington. And those are freshwater. They dump into saltwater. The ship canal is the way to the locks, and then it dumps into the into Elliott Bay, into uh, Puget Sound. Uh, but yeah, the statue of Lenin is it, it, it sits in Seattle under the Fremont Bridge. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, well, thanks for calling, Jim. Uh, we're going to go to a short break here. And by the way, uh, if you want to call, you can call back. It's Christmas Eve and it's Kitchen Table Progressive. So if you want to call, you can call back. If something else uh, strikes you and you want to make another comment, uh, the lines are open because I'm I'm wanting to talk to you uh, because you are. You are my family on Christmas Eve, you know, and I love being on the air, so what the heck. Let's all have a – I hope you have a, 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 some good Jameson there uh, to keep going there, Jim.
course, that, another familiar theme from the Nutcracker Ballet Suite by Tchaikovsky, Opus 71. I believe that 71, Opus 71 was his last, his last work. So he did 71, basically 71 hit, big hit albums in, in uh, his 53 years of life. Just absolutely gorgeous music. Of course, we, you recognize them just right away. You know what it is, and you know it's Christmas time. And that gives you a good feeling. You know, it's, it's nice to have that, those feelings and those memories and those traditions that we have, you know. Um, I was talking about we made the candy. That was one of our, the, the hard tech candy. And there was so much of it. We, had, we put it in jars. And, uh, and then we would just, um, <laughs> we would uh, put uh, ribbons, ribbons around the jars you know, or or something on the jars. Just I think we cleaned up jelly jars, like uh, you know, Smucker's jam jars or jelly jars or something like that, and um, and, and put the candy in those and uh, put the lids on and, and and gave them out as Christmas presents. Everybody liked them. It, it, it was quite a, a a nice tradition and something that the family enjoyed when my mom was young and and she'd have uh, Aunt Norma come over and another friend. So there's probably three or four of the ladies in the kitchen just just so good to have everybody in the house and uh okay uh we have a call ken would like to talk about a a christmas tradition or maybe he's got some christmas humor for us ken how are you hey paul how are you good Uh, i had two of them but the the screener says one's a little iffy so i have to go with the cleaner one (laughs) all right Uh, well if if you can clean up the other one we'll take it again uh, well, I'll give you the clean one. Yep. What, uh, what did Santa Claus say to his wife when he was looking out the window? Uh, Think it's going to rain, dear? Uh, <laughs> yeah. The one that the, 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 it, the screener says the other one's better, but it's kind of iffy. Well, it, <laughs> so it, it's got to be. That. You think it's going to rain, dear? <laughs> I think it's going to rain, dear. Well, that's. Uh, that's that's right on the edge there, Ken. That that's that's getting uh, that almost gets us. Uh, what did he tell you the other have, one? Uh, no, he didn't tell me. He didn't tell me the other one. Oh, okay. No, that's a, the did, one. Well, that yeah. one, that one, I just told you is not dirty. No, no. no. Um, so, no, that's a, Paul, what, what I'm glad to hear you. Well, thank you. What tradition? What? What traditions yeah, you had? Did you have in your in your house? Did you did you remember? Did you have Christmas not a traditions? Thing. That, on Christmas, really. day, Christmas Day, my mom gave me twenty five cents and said, "Get the hell out, come back tomorrow." <laughs> oh, twenty five cents, huh? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Let's see. The traditions we did then and not now was go downtown and see uh, the Christmas decorations, the, the trees and stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. the houses are decorated. There's certain neighborhoods where have the houses decorated. And also, we play out in the four-foot drifts of snow. When I grew up in the 60s, I'm 66, we had a ton of snow. Uh, 67 and 79, the snow was so deep it covered the cars. Oh, yeah. 79 was a huge. And and remember. It was a huge, huge one. Huge. Yeah, it hit everywhere because I was was at Michigan State um, in 79. You got hit there. We got sure. hit, and it was the only, believe it or not, it was the only time 
And I think probably since, because I, I was there for a long time, and I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. think it's been, it's been a while been, for deep snow. That was the only uh-huh. time the Michigan State, the Michigan State University, was closed for snow, which is amazing because Michigan State University is like a city in and of itself. They got snow clearing stuff to beat the band. I worked on the, uh, I worked on the cruise uh, as, as a student. Well, yeah, as a mm-hmm. yeah, as a as a student. Uh, yeah, student employee. I worked. Going around with snowblowers, clearing out the walks, but they had snow plows, and I, t- I think it was just because it hit um, kind of. Uh, I think it was about where it hit us was about five or six a.m. So they they just couldn't uh-huh. get it done in time. Yeah, here's but how yeah, bad was a- it was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was so bad. The garbage trucks could not get down the alleys to pick up the garbage. It just piled up to the first floor of plastic bags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until one day when I came home from work, a bunch of us, I just started, I, I, I'm going to shovel shovel the uh, the street here so that you can get at least to the alley. So I started shoveling. Uh, people came out. We all came together. People come together in disasters. And then it wasn't until April until the uh, Chicago had to, uh, to uh, get construction uh, backhoes to go down the to go down the alley to scoop it out and back it up, dump it in the truck and dump it in the river because the parking lots were right. all full. It was that was a year. Yeah, and do that you remember the year? Okay, do you remember? Nineteen sixty-five was a big snow. I was little. I was sixty-seven. Uh, I was little. I was. I was. Let's see. Nineteen sixty-seven. I'd be ten years old. Well, there was there was one in '65 that was pretty. Uh, maybe Chicago because in Michigan we had one in '65 that was, and we made uh, big big snow tunnels and uh, stuff like that. Uh, that was a pretty snow forts. I remember snow for oh snow forts were huge. Yeah, oh yeah, we get a snow get some boxes, forts were right? huge. Yeah, you get some boxes <laughs> and you pack them full of snow and you make your you, you know you make your uh, your bricks your blocks out of them and. Uh, and then so like a snow pill use... box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can make a snow pill box. Some of them. We had a lot more fun. I don't see kids outside playing at all, Paul. No, no, because no, of, you because don't. Because of you know what? Yeah, they're, they're well, building, building igloos on their on their the salt on their phones. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, that's true. And you no. know, yeah, I, I know. I it's kind of funny. Is when I, I see that that uh, yeah, we had a gang of kids there was all the time probably 10 to 15 of us running around the neighborhood all the time so that's the other thing is that you know parents think well is it safe for my child to go out well i'll tell you what it was for us because like i said we were a gang anybody tried to mess with us they would be dealing with a gang of about 15 kids they wouldn't be but uh yeah we were ever do this ever do this as a teenager do you ever do a thing called sketching where you hold on to the back bumper yeah, car, uh, and you yeah. got to pull you along. It was called sketching. Yeah, uh, the only yeah, my dad was not. He he said no because he said don't do that because you're going to hit a patch of concrete, and then you're going to go flat on your face. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll. Also, I remember growing up dad, dad all was, the Chris, all the Christmas movies, Paul, that we watched growing up. Yeah, now, all the, the old, the good oh, ones, yeah. the old ones. Yeah, you know, yeah, from the thirties and forties. Yeah, those were on. The 30s and 40s. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, we had I'll, snow I'll, forts. I'll, and, we had, and I don't know if, uh, did you go ice skating in Chicago? I mean, we. 
But what they do, they freeze over the basketball court. They let a sure. hose, two hoses run overnight, and in the next morning, yeah. <clears throat> the uh, basketball court uh, was frozen over with the snow they removed on the mounds. And I taught myself how to uh, how to. Now, what I did, why in Chicago, I'm sure they did up in Michigan. People saw me. They go, "What's that? Snowshoeing?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Chicago, well, you know what no we did. There's just comes cross country. In Michigan, there is snowshoeing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I was going to say about that is that you look at it now the there were little lakes that were uh, kind of bulges or uh, aneurysms of the Rouge River. One of them was called Nankin Lake, and the other one was called Newburg Lake, and they would freeze over. I mean, thick. You get you know six inches of ice. Yeah, and uh, the the county would bring a little bulldozer and clear off the whole lake. And really? yeah, uh, well, uh, probably ice fishing. Yeah. Oh, that, that was going on too, but they cleared off the whole lake. Yeah. They, they'd put, they'd push all the snow over to the side and then Newburgh Lake was giant. I mean, and then they had about in the middle, they set up like places where you, there were probably, I'm telling you 50, like, uh, hockey hockey uh, courts where they would there would be 50 hockey games right next to each other oh really uh-huh oh yeah and so we'd we'd skate on the outside around them and we i mean i i my dad would just we just all skate as a family and you skate if you skated around uh-huh. the lake that was probably about a mile so oh yeah, yeah dad, sure we, just like up in minnesota yeah sure yeah you skate, skate all the way around the lake <laughs> was about a mile and dad would say okay we're gonna uh-huh. go three four times around yeah so we skated three or four miles uh, just toboggan too. We had the toboggan oh, slides. The toboggan yeah. oh, slides. God, they yeah. took those down for for legal reasons. Toboggan slides. Oh god, we had all that. You know. Yeah, and the tobog- taking oh, the I, big I, taking the big icicles and, and sucking on them. The clear water. Oh yeah, yeah. They were probably full of lead, but um, or whatever. But, but oh, the I other feel thing fine, we did was, Yeah. <laughs> at least as far as I, I feel know. fine though, Paul. Yeah. Oh, uh, we had um, you know. We we at the big toboggan hill called it was called Dead Man's Hill, apparently because some guy tried to ride his motorcycle down it and he got killed because it was really steep. But at Dead Man's, we call, we call it Dead Man's. Um, we took the uh, toboggan there. One, me and my friend, and uh, this was in uh, we were in high school. I think we were probably sixteen. And anyway, we we got tired of pulling the thing up the hill, so we were down at the bottom of the hill, and I, it was pretty good packing. So I started rolling a snowball, and we made this snowball. Uh, it was about, but when we left it there, it was about, oh, I don't know, five, five to six feet in diameter. We couldn't push it. We had me and my buddy and maybe a couple yeah, other people. It's got to be good packing snow, though. Yeah, oh, yeah, it does. So then we decided, well, let's snow. go. So, <laughs> right. So then we left, we left, and this was the funny part. We left, and then we turned on the news later. And they're down at it's the you know Channel Two News is down at Dead Man's Hill where they made a giant ten foot snowball. And then the people that were there were going, "Well, we just started it from a little one, you know." And I'm like, well, "That was my snowball. What do you mean?" <laughs> we, oh, they took guys, the credit. Yeah, they took they took it and started. But they they I have to say they got about they had it got about by that time probably twenty people pushing it because that's about what it took at that point when you're pushing it that. But it was about it was about eight or nine feet tall. It was huge, and they had really? a whole everybody. Probably. Yeah, after we left, after we left, because we only had about me and a, me and my buddy and a couple other people. And then we said, "Oh yeah. well, the heck with it. We can't push it anymore." But then a bunch of people got in on it and um, 
speakers. System uh, yeah. Picked it up and uh, and then yeah, I, I didn't mind. I just I didn't mind that they took credit for it. I just, I was so happy that they picked it up and and kept going with it. They must have sucked up all of the snow on the ground down there. So I don't know what the toboggans were going to land on when they got oh, down there. It would be on crap. Hey, but the other thing is, yeah. Hey, Paul. Sure. Hey, Paul, you know what we would have done if we did that? We'd roll it up a hill and roll it down the hill and, and make sure Republicans are down at the end. <laughs> I'll tell you what was down at the end of Dead Man's Hill. If you didn't, if you didn't get out of the way, it was the Rouge River. So if you kept going too far, if you didn't bail out, then uh, and a few people did end up Move in the Rouge, Rouge River. River. The Rouge River, the dirtiest, <laughs> slimiest, ickiest, ugliest river you ever did see. Uh, yeah, ran right through where I grew up in uh, in Westland. Where it was originally called Nankin Township, and then it became Garden City, um, and then Westland, and uh, that's in the Rouge River and Hines Park. Yeah. Hines Parkway was the park that they made, which was the Rouge River flood basin. It was about 20 miles long and about a mile wide because that was what happened. Every every spring, the Rouge River would flood over. And, of course, you couldn't drive mm-hmm. on Hines Parkway at the, after that um, because it was flooded all spring until it until finally the river receded. Uh, but uh, that was, yeah, and there were places in Hines Parkway we used to go sledding, too. Um, there was a golf course also. We'd go sledding when I was a little kid. Really little, didn't need too big of hills. Uh, there was a, a golf course for sledding. It was right around behind yeah. my yeah. elementary school, and so I I would drag my sled over there after school, and I was allowed to go, allowed to go until it got dark. So um, anyway, Tom um, Hartman's from Michigan. Yep. Good to talk to you, uh, Ken. Yep. All right, Thanks very Paul. much. Congratulations on the show. Thank you very much. Have a merry Christmas. Okay, bye. You too.
There's a birthday party at the home of Farmer Gray. It'll be the perfect ending of a perfect day. We'll be singing the songs we love to sing without a single stop. At the fireplace while we watch the chestnuts pop. There's a happy feeling nothing in the world can buy When they pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie It'll nearly be like a picture print by Perrier and I These wonderful things are the things we remember all through our lives Just hear those sleigh bells ringling, jing, ding, tingling too Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you Let's go. Let's look at the show. We're riding in a wonderland of snow. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. It's grand, just holding your hand. We're riding along with the song of the wintry fairy. Our cheeks are nice and rosy and comfy cozy are we. We're snuggled up together like birds of a feather would be. Let's take that road before us and sing a chorus or two. It's lovely weather for us, they ride together with Jack Jones with a sleigh ride from the Jack Jones 1965 Christmas album. Still, I think, one of the very best Christmas albums ever. Uh, Sleigh Ride, the opening, the opening track on that, on that particular album. And I just love the way he sings it. He, I mean, he has the quintessential voice for that song. Great arrangement. I love the trombone chorus in there. That bum, 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 bum. Just that, uh, well, they got three trombones in there. Just, you don't hear that anymore. It just it's just such beautiful sound and it's so uh, you know it just makes you so happy to hear those those kinds of sounds and an arrangement like that those were those were the days when they had a real arrangement and real real bad orchestras that you know they had to have people like my dad by the way who came in and sat down and my dad was a professional trombone player professional jazz trombone player who would would have played on many such recordings like that. I didn't play on that one, but uh, quite a few others. Um, uh, those, those were the days. It really just just makes you feel so light and happy and ready for Christmas. You know, ready to enjoy everyone. Uh, nothing like the uh, feeling when they pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie. Yeah, it's just it's just so nice to hear. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that that album uh that was you know i i was hearing that when i was a little boy i mean my my folks would put that on and and i just oh, i just oh, I loved it so much just then i loved it for what well it came out in 65 so it was 58 years ago um you know such a great album still stands up it really does it still stands up and so so many uh great songs that um you know, I didn't, uh, c- couldn't fit them all in, obviously. Uh, we have some other music, and we'll play some other other music here on AM820, WCPT. Uh, by the way, this you're listening to uh, an extended uh, three-hour 
Christmas Eve edition of Kitchen Table Progressive. Paul Richardson, your host, and with you this evening, as I will be again next Sunday evening. And those of you who are uh, maybe have just tuned in and wondering where is the family meeting, uh, the family meeting is on an extended holiday vacation. Um, so they will return with their live programming on uh, Sunday, January 21st. So in the meantime, uh, you've got me this evening and next Sunday evening. And then in the first two Sundays of uh, January, uh, some very exciting new programming that they will be introducing, uh, filling in for the family meeting. But uh, I won't... Uh, I won't spoil the you know I won't spoil the show and and yeah, I won't talk out of school I know who it is but I won't tell you I want you to tune in uh, f- uh, some new people that you may know and uh, they have a new they have a new show that they're going to debut uh, and uh, and uh, they're going to have a chance to do that in the family meeting uh, time slot here uh, but as for tonight you've got me Action Center. Um, 6 11 p.m. There is a uh, among other Christmas traditions. Now, you remember the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer movie puppet, puppet still uh, st- uh, cl- not claymation but stillmation where it was puppets, you know, and they Rudolph and he was wanted to be independent and he hooked up with Hermie the dentist and and they then there was the Bumble and Yukon Cornelius and you hear Stephanie Miller play cuts from that. And uh, it, it was the story of Rudolph, and how yeah, he was the. Uh, they wouldn't let him play in any reindeer games. Uh, that came out in 1964. Uh, it ran on, I believe it ran on NBC. Uh, Rudolph did, and so um, very successful. I remember I, w- I was in kindergarten. Oh, I was just really. Excited to see it. I, I still like it. I still watch it. Uh, you know, I'll watch it if it's if it's on and there's a television. But I, you know, I, I I don't have the DVD. You do. I probably do. Huh? No, I don't. I have the, I have uh, the DVDs for um, uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, so. Uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, in 1965, Charles Schultz, uh, creator of the Peanuts comic strip and a devout Christian, by the way, was asked to create a Christmas special for CBS, uh, probably to, con- to con- con- uh, yeah, contend with the uh, Rudolph uh, in NBC. It was to feature the Peanuts characters. And he agreed, uh, Charles Schultz agreed, but with one condition, that they allow him to uh, allow him to include the story of the birth of Jesus. Although the network executives were hesitant and tried to convince him otherwise, Schultz was insistent. He wanted to tell the story of the, G- of the birth of Jesus. So as a result, for the past 50-plus years, we've watched uh, A Charlie Brown Christmas, and heard the story of Jesus and what Christmas is all about. Remember, uh, there was going to be the Christmas play and, and Charlie Brown was the director. But he got so frustrated with the group, he said, Can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And then Linus came up and said, I can tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie, Charlie Brown. And 
maybe there's a hidden message in the film. So Linus, who's a child who seems to have some insecurities, he carries a security blanket everywhere he goes at all times. In fact, Linus never drops his blanket, except once. While sharing the message of what Christmas is all about, Linus drops his blanket at the exact moment that he says the words, Fear not! And this comes from the gospel. In this seemingly innocent moment, Linus delivers a, a powerful reminder about the meaning of Christmas. We are to fear not, for Jesus is born. We needn't rely on material things for his security. We have God with us. This is Linus's message uh, as, he, as he talks about it on the stage. So this is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Matthew 123 talks about this. We need fear not, for Jesus is with us. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the true meaning of Christmas, says Linus. But Linus does pick up his blanket at the end of the speech. So is the interpretation wrong? True, Linus does pick up his blanket at the end of the speech. However, he gives it up again later. And how does he do this? Well, amid big, bright, colorful, shiny, artificial trees, Charlie Brown chose the least of these. A little wooden tree with just a few branches. Shortly thereafter, Linus uses his blanket to wrap around the base of the tree and says, maybe it just needs a little love. In that moment, the tree awakens and stands tall and firm, a reminder that no matter who we are or how many mistakes we've made, a little love can make all the difference. Let's strive to fear not. That's Luke 2.10. And love one another. John 13.34. Not just at Christmas time, but the whole year through. And isn't that the meaning of Christmas? That is essentially what the Charlie Brown Christmas story was all about. It was a beautiful story. And of course, uh, <laughs> Snoopy com- completely went commercial, like decorated his, his doghouse and all that stuff. And good grief, you know. Uh, Charlie Brown was just... He was, uh, Charlie Brown was, uh, kind of just totally taken aback. Oh, no, my own, even my own dog's gotten commercial. So, I love Charlie Brown Christmas. By the way, that was the first Christmas special, or the Friday, the first holiday special, uh, that they ran. Um, Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving. I had originally thought that was before Charlie Brown Christmas, but no, it wasn't. Charlie Brown Thanksgiving came out in 1973, so eight years later, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving came out, which I love that one too. And I do have the DVDs of I have the DVDs of Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and The Great Pumpkin. Yeah, oh, I got all three of those, uh, which I love dearly. I, I I thought Charles Schultz was brilliant and uh, influenced us as kids. I certainly had an, an adults adults too, and adults enjoyed. That kind of very light uh, humor that was not cutting, it was not mean, it was something we could all relate to, 
in so many ways. And I, I think that was the brilliance of Charles Schultz and the Peanuts, uh, Action you know, the Peanuts, system uh, the Peanuts cartoon uh, animations were, were very good. I, I, I really enjoyed those. Um, I think uh, Charlie Brown... There, well, I think it was it was no, it was Charlie Brown Thanksgiving where uh, one of the big uh, or, or one of the most uh, everyone knows the analogy of where you know that's going to be the, uh, the the football game right because it's always a football game in Thanksgiving uh, and Lucy is you know going to hold the football while Charlie Brown kicks off and and says uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Okay. Um, the uh, right. Got it. Um, the the uh, Char- Charlie Brown was just a. Uh, uh, in many ways, I was talking about the Lucy kicking the football. Um, uh, and of course, Charlie Brown, he falls for the fake every time, doesn't he? And he says, she's not going to, she goes, oh, I promise I won't take the football away. And of course, as soon as he runs up to kick it, she takes the ball away and he ends up uh, flat on his, on his back. Right. So it's, um, uh, it's kind of funny that he he never gets that. Um, he he never seems to, to, to learn. Action center, 620 PM. Um, 24 slash 2023. (laughs) So, um, it, it's, it's just a great classic, uh, great classic moment in, in, uh, and, and I loved all of the Charlie Brown, the Charlie Brown, uh, holiday features, uh, the comic strip, uh, there were a few, I don't think I followed it necessarily so closely, you know, as in the paper as I did the, 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 um, as I did, you know, the, the, the specials, the Christmas special. And, and there were a number of, of other, uh, you know, Christmas specials. I think Ken was mentioning, um, remember there was the, uh, the Chris Kringle special where they, there was like a German town. They had the Meister burger, Me- burger Meister, uh, who, that, and it was Chris Kringle who was, but it wasn't Santa Claus. It was Chris Kringle. That was his story. There was that one. Um, uh, and that was the kind of, uh, put one foot in front of the other, and soon you'll be walking across the floor. That one, remember? That was that one. I, I, I like that one. Uh, we were treated to a lot of those. We don't have those so much anymore um, as we did uh, then. Um, Christmas Eves. There are some special Christmas Eves I can remember. Uh, I'd like to, to talk about those. Uh, I will in... Um, Probably after, and we'll take calls again uh, after the bottom of the hour. Um, so at, uh, what, what, what are we on here? At 5.30, uh, we'll open up the phones again. Um, and, of course, the number is 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. Um, talk about any special 
Christmas Eves that you remember, or special Christmas uh, surprises, miracles maybe, you know, did you get that one thing that you were hoping to get, uh, or or did, did you get a surprise that maybe you never expected? Um, that's another one, is that you were hoping for something, and I remember Grandpa used to say, uh, well, young feller, he called me young feller, he'd say, uh, Santa Claus, bring you everything that you wanted this year? And I'd say, well, not everything. He'd say, <laughs> well, I suppose there's always next year. And I said, but Grandpa, that's a year, it's a whole year! And let's remember this uh, rendition of Twas the Night Before Christmas. Very special rendition. Before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was staring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be Children were nestled all snug in their wee little beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their wee little beds. Mama in her kerchief, Papa in his cap, had just settled down for a Oh, no. 
cheeks were like roses when kissed by the sun. His nose like a cherry all wrinkled with fun. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow. A beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a little old pipe he held tight in his teeth. And the smoke went around and around and around his head like a wreath. He was so jolly and plump. All right, jolly old, jolly old elf. And I laughed and I laughed and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. <laughs> he gave me a wink of his eye and a twist of his head. I chuckled and spoke not a word, but went straight to his work. He filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laying a finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod up the chimney he Classic, classic rendition of "Twas the Night Before Christmas" by the Harry Simeone Chorale. That 1958, 1958, uh, just a spectacular uh, arrangement. What 
what beautiful voices. Uh, what a chorale. Uh, just fantastic. That was a great album. I, I, I think my parents had that album. There have been some, not remakes, but re-releases of it. Uh, I've had, uh, let's see, I had the LP, the vinyl LP, and also the, the I found the, the CD came out. Uh, well, I, I bought it for, I think I bought it for about five ninety nine at at Bartell's Drugs. Uh, I don't know, thirty some years ago, thirty years ago. But boy, you you try to find that now? Go on to Amazon. It's about eighty bucks. A, uh, it's just it's a survived. Uh, it really has survived the the the, the test of time. That, that was off the CD called The Little Drummer Boy. was the name of the CD, the Harry Simeone Corral. Uh, I don't know. If, if you look, look around, you might find, you might find it uh, for a, you know, an affordable price. But, of course, at Christmas time, right before Christmas, of course, and they're going to mark it up. But that, it's, that's the, actually the, the poem of the night, Twas the Night Before Christmas, and then set to music. But what an arrangement. These were the days when, you know, we we uh, worked together. Now, you talk about that or- that orchestra and um, the singers. Action Center, uh, six thirty one p.m. You're talking about well over a, a hundred people uh, getting together, and of course you have the the crew. Um, you know everything, and people got paid. People had to get, but. but People also got paid, um, you know, modestly, I, I think, because they, they wanted to do this. These were people who went out, out to make a, a ton of money making a Christmas record. But by the way, but I don't know what their contracts were, but the sales of this of that particular Harry Simeon Corral, uh, uh, Little Drummer Boy, boy, the real, royalties must be staggering, just staggering, because that has been... Um, no, a great Christmas, a great Christmas tradition. Another a great Christmas tradition. Uh, it was the night before Christmas. Everybody knows that one. Everybody knows that one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So another uh, tradition. And by the way, still taking your calls here at seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. Here at uh, WCPT AM eight twenty. Uh, share your Christmas tradition. Um, what, what, what do you remember as being special? Um, we made Christmas cookies. Oh gosh. The cutout cookies were probably the, the favorites, uh, kind of the cutout sugars and we frosted them, you know, I think about a week before Christmas or so, a week or so, a week or 10 days, we'd start making them. My mom would make, oh gosh, you know, six or seven dozen of these things. Oh yeah, big containers, big plastic containers full of them. And we'd we decorate them at the table. Our gingerbread men, and there were Santas, and uh, and then Christmas Eve, uh, you you put out you put out uh, you know some cookies and, and and milk for Santa, uh, or or eggnog. I was you know, put out cookies and eggnog, eggnog and. And I noticed that Dad had uh, had put some uh, liquor in the eggnog that he was giving to Santa. And I said, "Dad, 
is, is Santa going to be able to drive if you if you put that in there? He goes, well, Santa Santa will be fine, yeah. <laughs> because Dad was going to eat the cookies and drink the eggnog. Uh, but, uh, yeah, then we would go to bed. After we were... When we were little, we had to probably get to bed by, oh, we were excited. So maybe they'd let us stay up till 8, 8, 9, maybe 9 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Um, waiting to see for Santa Claus. And I, I really waited up. I really tried to wait. Action um, Center, system clock, 6.34 p.m. 12. To see if I could see Santa, maybe hear him around the neighborhood. Um, but I, I, I somehow could never make it past about 11 o'clock. I just, you know, when I was little, even when I was up to about, I, I, how long did you believe in Santa? Uh, I think I was probably up to, well, probably eight. I, I was okay with the idea, you know, up until about, uh, at about nine, I went, eh, well, you know, but I, yeah, like, as I was saying, grandpa used to say, well, well, young feller, Santa Claus bring you everything you want. And I said, well, not everything. There's always next year, he said. And I went, oh, Grandpa, that's a, that's a whole year. He laughed. He, <laughs> he just, and Grandma would say, oh, it'll, be, it'll go before you know it. But when you're five, right, a whole year, that's 20% of your life. And then Grandma would say, oh, my gosh, the, my, parent, my grandparents said, my gosh, uh, the years go by so fast. And it's like, no, they a year. Oh, that's impossible. And then she'd say, by the way, and by, and by the time next year gets here, you won't even want it. Yes, I will. I want it right now, Grandma. And it's like, well, you'll get along without it. And you know what? She was, <laughs> she was right. <laughs> I said, I'll get along without it. And by next year, I didn't want it anymore. Because, you know, older people are kind of wise. You're growing. You're growing. You're not going to want this thing this year uh, that you wanted in, in or next year. You're not going to want that what you wanted last year, this year, next year. And so, um, you know, I uh, I kind of realized that. Now, my grandparents or my parents would buy us things. I, I noticed this. Um, what was ever the most popular thing? No, no we weren't going to get that. We would ask for it, but. The you know you know what uh, the parents said we'll see we'll see mean you know everyone you everyone knows what when dad says we'll see basically means no you like, well okay we'll see forget it you know, hey don't you get smart but um, my dad bought me things that uh, were similar for instance I can remember I think it was in the third grade everybody wanted a tape recorder you know a, t- a cassette tape recorder and. I asked for that too, and uh, Dad said, well, "Well, we'll think about that. We'll think about it." But I knew I wasn't going to get it, and there was a good reason. Is Dad got me at that time a cassette, an eight-track tape player, not a cassette recorder that I could, you know, make silly sounds on, because that's what he knew. All that's all we were going to do with it. We were just going to get silly and say things and then in a, in a week's time uh we'd be you know it would be we know we wouldn't be playing with it anymore because it's just silliness we don't know how to use it to to record anything and so but he got me uh, a cassette an eight track tape player 
which you couldn't record on. So at first I was disappointed, but then he got me um, the tapes. He got me the Beatles and also a George Shearing, uh, George Shearing jazz pianist, a, a George Shearing. So I got two eight-track tapes, and at first I thought, oh, I just want to listen to the Beatles. But then I got tired of it. I said, well, let's hear what the George Shearing is. And then I started listening seriously to jazz piano by a, a blind jazz pianist, George Shearing. And I grew. I, be, I came to appreciate something that I would have never come to appreciate had I just gotten what I wanted. And that's kind of the wisdom of my parents. Uh, is They thought about, yeah, we'll get you something like what you want, but let's not just get something that you're just going to fool around with and play with. That's... That's not uh, what it's all about. It's about growing, too. A, a gift that's going to grow with you. A gift that's going to grow with you. And I think that's kind of what Grandma was kind of alluding to, is that, you know, you, the things that you want this year, you're not going to want next year. Because you're going to grow. You're going to mature. And the things that you want now, because you're young, are kind of immature. You want, you want for the moment. And you would get sick of them. You know, you'd be tired of them in no time anyway. Um, so that was kind of a a, a lesson that I, I think I learned pretty early. I, I understood what what mom and dad and grandparents were were saying, even though I was a little disappointed. I, I was a little disappointed. But that's okay. Disappointments are part of life, and they're not a bad part of life. Disappointments can be a, a learning part of life. And you learn that you're made of other things than, uh, other than just what, what you wish you were and, and what you think you want right now. That's not what, uh, what that's not what it is. So we, uh, you know, we, um, 23 new notification system clock, 6.40 PM, 12. On this Eve, Christmas Eve, we wait for Santa Claus. We lay in bed and we wait for Santa Claus and we try to go to sleep and wonder what it's going to bring. And we wonder when is Santa Claus coming and how does he get in the house? And always, I always miss him. I, I never, much as I want to spy and see, get out of my room and wonder, watch him. I never was able to do that. I never. Uh, <laughs> Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Blixin' and blixin' and all his reindeers pullin' on the reins. Bells are ringing, children singing, all is merry and bright. So hang your stockings and say your prayers, cause Santa Claus comes tonight. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He's got a bag that's filled with toys for boys and girls again. Hear those sleigh bells jingle jangle, oh what a beautiful sight. So jump in bed and cover your head, cause Santa Claus comes tonight.
Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor, he loves you just the same. Santa Claus knows we're all God's children, that makes everything right. So fill your hearts with Christmas cheer, cause Santa Claus comes tonight. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He'll come around when chimes ring out that it's Christmas morn again. Peace on earth will come to all if we just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above, cause Santa Claus comes tonight. Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Bixen and Blixen and all his reindeers pulling on the rain. Bells are ringing, children singing, all is merry and bright. Hang your stockings and say your prayers, cause Santa Claus comes tonight. Yep, that's the singing cowboy, Gina Autry. Uh, that's the 1953 uh, recording of Here Comes Santa Claus. Isn't that something? 70 years ago, 70 years ago, Gene Autry, a singing cowboy, here comes Santa Claus. So, well, let me tell you a story, uh, if, since we don't have a, a caller on the line right now, I'll tell you the story of when, uh, a Christmas when I did get what I wanted. And not only did I get what I wanted, it was a big part of, of my growth, um, and uh, a big part of my life. And that was, uh, this would have been 1971. I was, well, I turned 12 in September, 7th grade. Okay, so I, I started 7th grade in September of 1971. But before that, when I was still in the 6th grade, I decided that I wanted to play the bass, the bass guitar, right? Because I thought that was just the heaviest, hippest thing. That's what I could hear in a band, you know. I mean, boo, 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 boo. Because I was listening to, you know, Black Sabbath and Deep Purple. And I didn't want to be a lead guitar player. I mean, that was fine. But I thought bass was, that was the heavy part. That's the part you could definitely track when you listen to it. That's shaking the, that's what's shaking the room. You know, when you put your stereo on, it was the bass guitar. And of course, growing up in Detroit, Grand Funk Railroad, you know, there was heavy bass in that. Everything was heavy bass, and everybody used these, you know, big 15-inch speakers, you know, and it was it was like the kind of bass sound that would just peel the paint off the walls. And so it was in the summertime, um, after between sixth and seventh grade, and uh, I, I I just had this idea in my mind, and and by that time I was eleven. I could run further afield from the home. You know, I could. I was allowed to cross the busier streets, and so there was a music store. Uh, it was actually it was Bill Cairo's drum studio, uh, a well-known drummer in Detroit, a jazz drummer in Detroit by the name of Bill Cairo, who passed away a few years ago. But he had a little shop over there on Joy Road, and uh, somebody told me, yeah, and they have a bass in there. He had a bass. I said, oh, he does? 
Uh, and this is a place that I could actually walk to. So I walked. We walked over to Bill Cairo's drum drum shop, and oh, sure enough, there was that bass on the wall. And wow! I I said, "Can I can I try it?" He just had one. He didn't have very much stuff in the. You know, he didn't have very much inventory. He was just getting started. So I I was, you know, I took it off the wall, and I don't I don't even remember what kind of bass it was. It looked like a a Gibson. But it wasn't a Gibson, because it wasn't a Gibson. It, it looked like a Gibson EB3, but it wasn't, uh, with with the double cutaway. It was a, I don't know, Epiphone, probably. And I was I was playing on it, and, I, oh, God, this is great. Oh, I love this thing. I, 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 I know how to play it already. I know how to play it immediately. I knew how to play it. And I did. I, do, I knew how to play it. Just all I, I knew in my heart I could play this thing. And I could. Almost immediately I could play it. So I came home. This was in the summertime, probably July, and I told mom all about it. and And I and, and she said, "Well, how much is this thing?" I said, "Well, it's a hundred, hundred, hundred and fifty dollars." A hundred and fifty dollars? Oh my goodness! And I and I said, "Well, but mom, but mom, but mom." Well, that she said, "That's just a whole lot of money for a twelve-year-old, or for an eleven-year-old," if she told me. And I said, "But mom, you know, well." We'll ask your brother when he comes in. My older brother, John. And uh, I just thought, oh, nah, I want my, my older brother. He might be on my side, but he also might not be. So wait till dinner time. And brother came home. And mom said, Paul wants to ask about, you know, about this. And I said, he said, what is it? And I said, well, it's a bass guitar. And it's over there at Bill Cairo's drums. He goes, yeah. And how much is it? And I said, $150. He goes, okay. How much is the amp? I said, oh. And my mom said, what, what's an amp? <laughs> and my brother said, well, you, you can't hear it unless it's a, it has an amp. That's another, it's going to be at least another 150 bucks, maybe 200 And mom said, oh, no. Oh, that's, oh, no, no, no. That's, no, I'm sorry, Paul. That's just too much money. That's too much money for an 11-year-old. But mom, but mom. No, I really, really want it. She says, well, I think you should get a, a nice little acoustic guitar. And she had a friend, his name was Ben, uh, Ben Creeches. Uh, and he played guitar. And she said, we'll ask him. He's a musician, and he knows all about it. So, uh, Action uh, 22 new notification system clock, 6.48 p.m. So, <laughs> well, Ben came over, and I said, all right, ask Ben. Ask Mr. Ben. And he said, well... You know, there are guitar players and there are bass players. And so if he wants to play the bass, well, you know, let him play the bass. And, ah, see, now I got somebody on my side. Oh, I was so, I was really, really happy. Okay, so now I got one. My brother was like, uh, my brother had pumped the price up to, it's, you know, 150 for the get for the bass and another 150 to 200 for the amp. I was like, that's 350 bucks for a setup, which was about right, you know. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and, uh, but was going to be impossible to do. Uh, but to make a long story short, on Christmas Eve of 1971, I got, well, first of all, I got, got sick. I was terribly ill. I had a terrible cold. And my oldest brother, my, my, not John, Mark, the other one, he said, I'm going to make you a hot toddy. And a hot toddy was a, uh, tea hot tea with a a bunch of some honey 
and a shot of whiskey. And uh, I did. I drank the hot toddy, and I thought, I'll go downstairs because I wasn't going to be able to stay up. At the, I went downstairs to sleep in the, in the bed downstairs in the basement because the family was up. And I went out like a light, like at 8 o'clock on Christmas Eve. And I got up early the next morning, just probably had to go to the bathroom. And I came upstairs, and the Christmas tree was on. And I think there was a light on the living room. And I looked, and I was kind of kind of drowsy and groggy and bleary-eyed. And I looked, and oh. Over uh, by the Christmas tree, next to the Christmas tree was this big speaker, and there was something that looked like a electric guitar leaning up against it. And I went over and I went, "Oh my goodness, what is this for me?" And I grabbed it, and it was a bass guitar. It was a Univox semi hollow body bass guitar. I loved it. I loved this thing to death. I played that thing to destroy. <laughs> I mean, I played that. And the amp was not immediately available. It had to be put together. It was a Heathkit amp, 120-watt bass amp that my brother and uh, my mom's friend, uh, Ed, helped put together. And uh, in another week or two, I had a 120-watt bass amp with two big 12-inch speakers. Boom, boom, boom. Drove the neighbors nuts. And that's... The Christmas Eve that came true. And let's talk to Dave from Hoffman Estates. Dave, hello. Thanks for calling, and Merry Christmas. Hey, Paul. Merry Christmas. I was going to do oh. one thing with the Pothers, but I tell you what, I, I was the one that I was harped about, the uh, like how Dick K did that uh, that one day in detente. So I'll save what I was going to talk about there till next sure. week. But, um, but okay. thank you for following his shoes by playing that Christmas music. That's refreshing. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I did. Yeah. By the way, I re- yeah I remember that show. Yeah, but do you remember also that d- there was a the the WCBT used to run uh, a promo for his show, and there, it was a, a caller who said, uh, "Oh, but Dick, these some of these ta- these callers they go on and on and on, and you just let you got to cut them off." And Dick said, "But what? But, but no, 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 no. The the, the callers that's the show, right?" Well, see, he that's ever- the thing. He under- he understood the thing that we were the motor that ran the show. That's you know, he just exactly he just, you right. know, would get with the he'd get with the topic of what he wanted, and then we kind of just guided the ship which way it wanted to go, and he was went exactly. with it. You know, and, and he wasn't like there's some that want to be bigger than the show, you know. No, and, and that's why this show is called Kitchen Table Progressive because the whole idea, and maybe we'll, we'll get you know uh, in more practice to get more than one of on at a time, you know. When we get more callers, if we have a whole lineup, because uh, I don't want people stepping on each other too much either, but, yeah, the whole thing is the callers. Talk radio is all about yeah. the callers. It's not about the host. I just prattle well, on to fill time. Exactly and you, it. <laughs> yeah. It's called a talk, a talk show, call-in talk show. I didn't realize on some that it was a call-in and they talk and we listen. You know, now you lose me real fast on that one. But uh, And like I said, well, that's what. That's what conservative. I don't know. That's what conservative talk radio is. It's they they talk at you, and you're supposed to listen and follow along. You know, right, right. So, like I say, I'll save that. I'll save the political one for next week. On that, I think it'd be a little more (laughs) apropos. You know, like I, I I was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, New Year's. I'll tell you the one story though. 
the one I was going to tell you before about my cousin that was at okay. MSU, he might have been just a, a year or two before you. He only went for about uh, one or two semesters because his parents owned a uh, a uh, printing company up north. And he used to be a salesman. He, they said he was one of their best salesmen, so they kind of talked him back into the thing. But anyway, they had like a frat house or whatever, him and... His best friend from up there that went to MSU, and uh, they had a sign that they called it Hemingway's house, you know. And uh, uh-huh. oh, they, yeah. they had a sign. They, they took. They were taking <laughs> collections, you know. Come see Hemingway's house. So <laughs> people were taking pictures and all that stuff. And parents came down. They looked at. They said, "You got to tear that thing off." You can't. Hemingway was their cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's why I'd leave you with that little bit of college humor, you know. That that's uh, <laughs> Hemingway was their cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love that. Some, some tourists they were even taking pictures of it. There was a sign, you know, about Hemingway's house, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, D- Dave, I wanted to ask you. So, when you were in the UP, where, whereabouts were you? There? Where did you live there? Uh the West Central Port part. Right about, you know, I was uh, about 45 miles west of uh, Marquette and and maybe about the same oh. distance, uh, kind of north northeast of uh, Iron Mountain. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what, what's that? Is that, uh, is that just north of Escanaba then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Escanaba's real south. Escanaba, Menominee, yeah. and that, they're all on the south uh, by Lake Michigan. On the shore, yeah. So you were a distance from there, so... I was in between, yeah. you know, between that one and Superior, kind of. So. Was there a town that was near you? Oh, which, what do you mean, the bigger town? Well, Marquette was the big town up there. The oh, Marquette. Was, okay, so you, yeah, I know Marquette. Yeah, okay, so you yeah, were pretty they, much just, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that had the college town. I, I worked up there, I worked up there one, yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Where'd you, what, uh, in Marquette? 56 p.m. I uh, worked in a summer camp up there for the uh, American Diabetes Association. Oh, okay. Uh, It's it called North Bay, up at North Bay. Oh, okay, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they, had, um, I, they have heard of it. It's been a long time though since I lived there, and the, mm-hmm. the um, and they uh, it was pretty rural where I was at. It wasn't quite Mayberry, but not too far off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, right. Yeah. And when when you were talking about that with the other gentleman, yeah. well, we'll have to we'll have to leave it right there, Dave. All right, Let's I just want to leave you with that one about Hemingway's house. So. You talk bet. To you we'll week, talk to you buddy. next week. Thanks. Be well. And Merry Christmas. Everyone you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest season of all With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings When friends come to call It's the happiest season of all There'll be parties for hosting marshmallows For toasting and caroling out in the snow There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. 
It's the most wonderful time of the year There'll be much mistletoeing And hearts will be glowing When loved ones are near It's the most wonderful time of Scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time.
Baby Jesus is Born. That was yours truly on vocals and guitar and drums, bass, and everything that was on that track uh, for you there. Uh, one of my recordings, I think from about 2006. Um, uh, wasn't it, Dale? Breaking up, so it's been really awkward. Oh, are, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay, so uh, on the line with me is one of my family members, uh, Dale Martin uh, from Seattle. And we are sort of now on our, I think, 33rd Christmas together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it started way back in 1991. By the way, I have to say, uh, if there are other callers on the line, I'm not going to be able to take you this hour uh, because it was sort of mapped out for family memories here uh so uh i'm sorry uh jim uh let's uh let's let's get back the next week next week uh give a call but um anyway the uh my my seattle family uh are the martins uh, which dale is the head of the family and we met uh back in 1991 i was i applied for a job at this little school where dale's wife gail was the uh, the bookkeeper, and um, it, uh, the, this the quick the quick story of it was um, uh, probably one night when school started in 1991. There was a parent parent teacher night, and uh, I I had taken the bus to the meeting, but the bus was you know I couldn't get a bus back home until like an hour after the meeting was out, and so people were leaving. You know it's. Uh, and I said, "Hey, hey, Gail, you you live up live up at Woodenville. You know, you're going up the 405 towards Kirkland, aren't you?" And she said, "Okay, Paul, I'll give you a ride home." All right. So I didn't know her, but uh, we got driving, and and Gail said, "Oh my God, you are just like my, you got to meet my husband, Dale." So that was the beginning, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, Downhill ever since. What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Downhill ever since. Yeah. So to speak. That's right. We've had a lot of memories. A lot of memories in the last thirty uh, plus thirty three years now for Christmases, and um, I think the uh, well, the first thing was that Gail said, "Oh, well, you you have to come to our house for." Uh, now it was the. Um, the birthday, the November. So this is right around Thanksgiving. So uh, talk about the November. Remember the old, the old time November birthday parties. <laughs> there were some good ones. That's for sure. Is that the so, uh, one where yeah. went to the record convention? So how'd they start? Is that the one? Well, uh, well, 
No, I'm talking about um, the uh, the November the uh, the the theme parties that we had started out because I, I came to the 20s party. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So uh, talk about how the uh, how the November birthday parties that were, which were right the weekend before Thanksgiving. Talk about what those were. Well, there was four of us, three or four of us, I think there was four of us, that all had birthdays within the same week. And so we always seemed to have these theme parties. And uh, I think the first one you went to was our, we had a Roaring Twenties party, turned the house into a speakeasy, and everybody right. got easy. And it was uh, it was craziness. Right. And uh, It's all dressed up, too. It was all, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're all those costume are, parties, for sure. Oh, everybody, yeah, everybody's dressed up, so... And that was, uh, but then there were a couple of, there was a couple of them before I got there because, uh, I think, didn't they start when it was your 40th birthday? Uh, so there was two years before that wasn't, uh, I think the th- first theme was the sixties party, right? Yeah, that's right. That was hilarious. Uh, would have been the late sixties and, uh. And then we had a toga party. You were at the first, the first, second toga party, actually. Where we I was, had at, a toga, I was at toga too. No, the toga. I think toga. I think toga one was the year before. It was 1990. Yeah. 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 Because the yeah, one yeah. I went to, the one I went to, um, was the 20s party, and everybody was dressed. I was the only one who wasn't dressed up. I didn't really understand. I, I kind of showed up with uh, one of the other teachers from the school. Gail said, uh, had, uh, Kari, had Kari come and pick me up. And, and so, yeah. Oh, and then, uh, well, we had, uh, oh, a bunch of friends of ours, Marna and Martin and, uh, Martin, the first name Martin. And then, uh, everyone was dressed up in twenties garb. Uh, and then, um, and then the second year, uh, or the, the other twenties part or the other birthday party after that was, um, well, we had the old party, and that was at the, the neighbors. The <laughs> old party was like we look now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And uh, remember uh, Martin's brother, uh, Car- was it Carl? Who had, had dressed up yeah, with a, like, Carl, a yeah. he had a big pillow in, in his, uh, and he was like bouncing off his belly. He was dancing. He was dancing. Yeah, it was and like he was. He'd bounce on his stomach and bounce back up on his feet. I still to this day, I don't know how he accomplished that without smacking his chin on the ground, but he did it. Um, uh, <laughs> like hurt, like curly. Party cold. Three, Everybody's going. I can't believe he just did that. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like it was like curly on the Three Stooges. And then, oh, and yeah, then the last, sure. the last theme party I think that we had was Toga Two, and that was another uh, Toga party where we you set the house up all uh, like uh, Greek. Uh, or whatever Roman Ro- Roman, you had a big Roman thing in the front room there, and uh, uh, but the first that's where we the got first picture. Trip. It was kind of like Animal House. We got a big group shot, like the Animal House group at the end on the steps of the fraternity, and oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's flipping the bird to the cameraman, and that's a great classic shot of the whole group in their togas. Great <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. But the first, um, the first Christmas Eve uh, was uh, nineteen ninety one. Uh, I didn't, I didn't do Thanksgiving with you guys. I, I think I went home. I, I, I went back to Michigan. 
for Thanksgiving that year. But uh, then the first Christmas Eve, I'd only been in Seattle since late August, you know, to to start the the teaching job, and um, and so the the Chris, Christmas Eve at at your place at the Martins was um, it was a big affair, right? It was, and. Uh, so it was a, uh, I don't know, a giant, giant, uh, giant roast beast. It was uh, you know, probably about a six, six rib or whatever. I don't, I don't know how they count the, uh, uh, you know, uh, prime rib roast. And uh, how many people? Uh, how many? We had the. How many people were there usually? Oh god, probably a dozen. Oh, I think at least. But I thought there were like was it, twenty. Was it more than that? We have, we have well, a couple of people set up in this set. Yeah, it could have been twelve, fifteen. We had the the dining room table, and then there were card tables or, or or other tables that were set at the end of that, right? Right. And uh, yeah, and then uh, that with chairs pushed in, uh, chairs brought up from downstairs, and so on. And then and then uh, Gail's dad. Uh, uh, by the way, Dale's Dale's wife, Gail. We, we we've lost some people along the way here. Uh, my my partner, uh, Jill. Um, uh, passed away from breast cancer in 2012, and then and then Dale's uh, also lost. We lost Gail in in 2018, so uh, things aren't quite the same. And the girls are growing up. Uh, the girls, when I met Dale's daughters, they were uh, eight and ten, and now they're grown up, big successes, big uh, successes in their lives. And uh, so things are a little smaller uh, Christmas Eve, uh, but. Um, the big party, and then uh, Gail's parents, who were, by the way, they were they were divorced, but they came to him. And uh, I remember Dale, uh, Gail's dad, uh, Reuben. Uh, he was the one who tied up the roast. He he would put the, the tie up the cord around the roast to keep it together. And uh, right, and he was the one who took care of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and and he uh, well, uh, Reuben was the carpenter, so he's one of these. He's a work. And he had working man's hands. He had big fingers, right? Big thick fingers. And uh, he he always tell me he, he had this, and he had that North Dakota accent. He said, "Would you, Paul? Would you mind putting your finger there to hold the knot down so I can tie it?" Because he said, "I can't. I can't my finger gets t- stuck in the knot there." And so, yeah, I I, I did that, and um, so we uh, we. Uh, you know, the roast went in the oven, and that was a the the, the prime rib dinner in 1991. And then, the, so I was the new guy at the table. But you know, you and Gail had kind of elevated me to the near the head of the table. You were sitting at the head of the table, and Gail was sitting to your right. And then, just to Gail's right, I was sitting there, and everyone. And this is our new friend. This is Paul from Michigan, and uh, and. Uh, and so I was talking about all what I was, you know, what I was all doing and everything, and uh, uh, passing around all the, the, you know, all, all the foods getting passed. I mean, it's just around the table, and that Gail said, do you, "Well, do you like uh, sour cream on your potatoes?" I said, "Oh, yeah, sour cream, yeah, yeah, yeah." So and I'm talking, and I'm kind of holding court. Yeah, you know, the big, I'm using the usual big mouth of everywhere. And uh, and and so, but I I picked up something else and I, I threw it on the potatoes. A big helping of sour cream and 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 someone saying uh, so, Paul. So where are you from? What's Michigan like? And I anyway, I, um, I remember this is that I 
I had not put sour cream on my mashed potato or my uh, baked potato. I'd heaped on uh, the horseradish sauce that was supposed to be for the for the beef, right? <laughs> and so I uh, I took a giant I took a giant bite of my potatoes while I was talking, and my whole head just exploded, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, uh, you were quite entertaining, <laughs> to say the least. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to explode, and I, uh, everyone was laughing. It, it just it turned into a gigantic, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, is that the one where so, John uh, Weaver there? Too? I don't remember John Weaver was there. I don't remember. About that. Okay, then maybe it's a different time. <laughs> but, well, what what time uh, are you thinking about? Well, I was thinking then. Uh, Joan had just met you, and she was sitting at the table. Uh, I'm oh, sure yeah. Tom, Joan, and Tom were there, and uh, and her and Dale had worked together, and so Joan was interested to know what your um, what causes your blindness, and so she says, "Well, explain it to me, Paul." And he goes, "It's PBB." And she goes, PDB? Gosh, I should know this stuff. I'm not familiar with that term. What is PDB? And Paul's straight face, and we're all kind of going, well, yeah, what is PDB? And he goes, poor blind bastard. And I'm telling you, damn near food started coming back out of my mouth. We were laughing so hard. And then he's just a straight face, and Joan just got all embarrassed. She thought she'd offended him, and, and then eventually we all got past it. But it was funniest thing I think I've heard in a long time. Well, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's one of those you had to be there. I'm not sure. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a lot of ways I'm, I'm that way. You kind of had to be there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, about the time I was dancing at that uh, biker bar with the, uh, with my stick, with my white stick and uh, we won't go there. Yeah, we won't go there. That was the one yeah, where yeah, Galen Carroll took, took, <laughs> took me off the dance floor. Yeah, I sit down. Sit down. <laughs> Yeah, I'd sit yeah, down. You are down, you're yeah. put that stick down. You're being too lewd with that with that white cane. Yeah. Well, we had a um, you know, uh a, a action center system I think 7:23 p.m. We were uh just about to uh and just just Alex if you hold, hold hold that uh I'm just talking to the to the engineer here. Just hold just so we get to do the story, but um there was uh, a thing we did at Thanksgiving. Uh, Dale used to go to record shows. And uh, and pick up, talk about record shows. T- tell us about that. Well, I used to go to, they call them record conventions, and then people that have a lot of records can rent a table and put up their records, and then all of us random people could come in and buy records. Everything from 78s up to LPs to reel-to-reel tapes, all kinds of stuff. So I went over to this one, and I was shopping around. Well, I was getting into 78s at the time. I was destined to get me a 78 jukebox. Well, 78s are a dime a dozen. And so I came back home with a stack of them, I think a couple of bucks, and I just said, just give them all that you got. I'll go home and figure out which ones are any good, if any. And so I I come home, and uh, we had this old uh, 60s console, big console that's six feet wide and slider top and the turntables inside. And so Paul and I were sitting there downstairs, and I said, let's go see what kind of records I picked up. So we're down there. This is on... Yeah, let me just say, this was on Thanksgiving night one time. 
uh, we had come back from yeah. Whidbey Island at Gail's dad's. We had Thanksgiving, and Dale said, yeah, let's go see what kind of records I got here, right? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that, was, that was a Thanksgiving So go ahead. And so we were playing two on and there oh, there's a bunch of junk here, and then all of a sudden this one comes up, and, <laughs> and it's called I Pump the Organ for Tina. Okay, and that's called I Pump the Organ. Howling. Yeah. Uh, we were we were and, on the floor for like, we played this record for probably three or four times, and honest to God, we were on the floor laughing so hard that the Dale's daughters, who were about, about 10 and, or I don't know, they were teen, young teenagers said, Mom, why are Dad and Paul laughing so hard? Uh, okay, Alex, if, if you got that one, uh, I pumped the organ for Tina. Uh, let's hear that one. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Many years ago, before the radio, I used to pump the organ down in the picture show. When Tina played, you know, I always liked to go. And the way I pumped the organ wasn't slow. When I pumped the organ for Tina... And Tina played music for me. I fell in love with my Tina when we played in sweet harmony. She jumped on the bench and she pulled out the stop on that beautiful organ with pipes round the top. I started pumping when she rang the bell And she played that sweet music that I love so well We made sweet music together It was sweeter than birds in the tree Then I pumped the organ for Tina And Tina played music for me I pumped the organ for Tina, and Tina played music for me. I fell in love with my Tina, and Tina fell in love with me too. You see, I know just how to pump the organ. When Tina wants the organ to swell, then I got to pump like... Well, it takes more wind, and don't you see? And Tina keeps playing louder and louder and louder. And oh, we make sweet music together. It's sweeter than birds in the tree. When I pump the organ for Tina, and Tina played music for me. <laughs> That's been a family classic for uh, 30 years. What a great discovery. Uh, it's just out of sorting through 
78 records that, that Dale picked up in a giant pie. So I'll give you $2 for this box of them, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and we have laughed about that for all these years and played it many, many times since. So it doesn't have to be a, you know, <laughs> a great, well, by the way, the, where it comes from, I mean, uh, Seattle has a, uh, Vibrant in the in the city or district called Ballard, uh, which is a uh, Norwegian. A lot of Norwegian people, uh, and a lot of and a lot of Norwegian jokes. That uh, probably where that record came from was recorded right there in Seattle. Uh, who knows when? In the nineteen forties, probably uh, seventy eight. But Dale found it, and we have laughed our rear ends off about it forever and ever. But um, so that was funny. Thanksgiving. It's the song on the other side. Yep, the song on the yeah. other side. We didn't really get into playing it, but the title of the song on the other side is "Name It After Me." <laughs> Name it after me, right? Yeah, I, you know, I wanted. To, I just thought uh, we we just don't have enough time to do them all. I would have included that, but you know, it's it, it's it, it's more you know in person we could do that if we had uh, six hours together instead <laughs> of just three. But. Yeah, uh, yeah. So after that first, uh, after that first thank, uh, first Christmas Eve, uh, when when we first met, and uh, the great Christmas, and then and then Gail said, uh, "Well, Paul, we have to come over to your place sometime. Why don't you invite us over?" And uh, this is one of Dale's big classic stories. I'll set it up for it. I'll set it up for you. Then you can you can tell it. So um, I I when I moved to Kirkland, I was first in this. Studio apartment. It wasn't a bad, a pretty big place. A studio apartment. It was about oh, 500 square feet. A big room, but it had a nice bathroom and a decent shower and everything, and a, and a nice little kitchen. A little kitchen, but not, not. I wouldn't even call it a kitchenette. It was big. It was a it was a kitchen, but it was small and a counter. Uh, not a bad place at all. Um, and so, Gail said, "Well, we should come over to your place." And I had my I had hardly any furniture, but I had my music gear there. And so I had enough to set up. I had my tape deck set up and stuff like that. So, uh, but the place was, it was called Creekside Apartments. It's, I think it's still called Creekside. It's, it's across the street from where I live, but I never lived there. But uh, it's up on a hill, and there's a, a creek that runs down from the top of the hill, kind of more like a drainage ditch, but it kind of winds through and these other places. And there's a couple of buildings. And so as it winds through, as the creek winds through, uh, there are some sort of footbridges. It's a really neat place. You have to you know, walk across these footbridges, and it's kind of like you're in Hobbit land, and there's, it's up in the trees, and it's kind of covered. And my place was the studio. This is behind, you know, so you can pull into off 68th Street. You could pull into the main parking lot, or where I really lived, was you have to go actually back to 67th Street and come in that way. But Dale and Gale, this one night, uh, came in the front way, which means they had to walk across a bunch of footbridges and around this and up these little steps and around to uh, my place, which was, they had it terraced, so it was, uh, it was a lot of privacy walls, so that was, you felt like you were really pretty warm. So this one night, I made dinner and Dale and Gail came over and my little round table, it was about the size of a bar table. And, uh, and then what happened, Dale? Well, we walk in there, and, and uh, I went, oh, I forgot to bring in my case of cassette tapes. I'll run out the car and grab them. So I 
trot out to the car and grab them. And I walk rather fast. I'm just, you know, this night out and I'm walking back and I'm coming across this, this wood little bridge. And I walk right up to the front door and I just turn the knob and I kept walking. I didn't even stop. And I walk right in and I'm in the middle of the room and there's a couch. And this guy stands up and he's looking at me face to face. We're about six feet apart. And he's looking at me and I go, wrong apartment. And I turn and I walk out real fast and I just close the door and I'm, I go next door, and Gail and Paul could hear me in there going, what was going on over there? And, and the guy, I'm sure he's probably still standing there going, what was that? You know, it was rather <laughs> shocking. But, uh, oh, yeah, we were. <laughs> funny to say the we, we heard the whole thing. We were we were in the next, yeah, basically the next room. Uh, and yeah. and we heard this disturbance, and, and Gail said, Dale walked into the guy's apartment next door. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and it was just like, and then, oh, yeah, when you came in, you were white as a ghost. I mean, you were just like, you look, oh, yeah, it was just, oh, what? what? And, and and of course, your wife just laughed her butt off. She said, oh, God damn, you just walked to the wrong place. Oh, yeah, it was it was so funny. It was, uh, but it, it was really, I was like, that was a great place. By the way, it was uh, that was the place where several of uh, some of my gu- Oh, I mean, not too bad recordings were made in that studio apartment. Uh, and it, it was nice because nobody complained. I mean, <laughs> I, I was when, that was when I was working with uh, Mitch Alexander, the great uh, great Seattle blues guitarist, uh, Mitch Alexander. He was not a bad player, and he had this little Marshall half stack. Nobody Nobody complained about it being too loud. Well, we tried to keep it down, but recorded music in that studio apartment just with, well, in those days, it was a couple of microphones and a tape deck. But, uh, yeah, that that was pretty good. That was, uh, well, we had a a couple of other. uh, System clock, 7.34 p.m., 12. A couple of other. Well, I, I think then after that, I, I came to, I, I was pretty much at, at Christmas Eve every every year. Um, and that's at, at your house. Christmas Eve is the celebration, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we had the, the roast so every I have year. A, and, yeah. Well, we have a, I have a jukebox that plays 45s in the basement. And we play poker and celebrate New Year's. Oh, yeah. And, tell uh, about, tell, talk about the jukebox. That's this is a really and the, great and the jukebox. Yeah, we got about it up with action center system clock seven thirty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. Talk talk so about anyway, the so jukebox. I, the jukebox was loaded up with I loaded up with music and stuff. So I put a bunch of Christmas music and so forth and so on there. But this is an old nineteen sixties record player or a jukebox. So when you punch it, uh, it doesn't necessarily play in the order you you play them. You punch them. So it, it rotates clockwise and counterclockwise, depending on which side of the record it's picking up. So you could play a record and not hear it for two hours if you're punching a bunch of stuff. And so anyway, so midnight's approaching, and I'm going, well, <laughs> the jukebox is already playing music, and I can't make it play the one I want. You just punch it and hope to God it comes up. And all of a sudden, the stroke of midnight hit, and uh, old Lang Design came on that jukebox and played right at the moment. We open up the dust doors in the daylight basement and we're out there just howling, cheering for a happy new year, but howling because of the jukebox 
timed it perfect for us and hit the only one song that had old Lang's eye on there. I'll never know. You couldn't do it again if you wanted to. Um, Anyway, it was quite the that, night. No, that would be a, that's just a, that, that came on, I think that was about, I want to say it was 2013. Yeah, yeah that, that was about 10 years ago. It was, um, the, 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 yeah, you, you, so people, and, and by the way, we were like saying, because um, people would come over. We'd play poker downstairs. Dale's got a, a great poker table, you know, felt, felt poker table. Uh, so you can, you know, it's a perfect, uh, you know, your classic poker table. And then we got the jukebox, the Wurlitzer, not was it, 1961 Wurlitzer? Yeah, jukebox. 60, 1960 Wurlitzer. Oh, 60, 1960. And this thing just yeah. works like a champ. By the way, Dale has, what, you have over 2,045s. So <laughs> you can, he can put a hundred of you can put a hundred of them in. That's two hundred songs because you got your A and B sides. But Dale could fill up, have a different. Dale could have a different jukebox night. Uh, what a hundred twenty twenty nights in a row, a completely. <laughs> For he's got over two thousand. He's got a music room that is just. This is like you go in there and it's like wow. It's he's got what probably two, uh, but also probably about two thousand albums. Not, not to mention CDs. Uh, the whole thing's just, just totally uh, cocked in, wired, wired in, and it's just like your music heaven. Uh, uh, where you know downstairs, and then there's the uh, the other part of the, uh, the downstairs is uh, where we play poker, poker table, jukebox. Also has a kitchenette there with a uh, refrigerator. So we have had so many just. Incredible uh, parties there, incredible nice times, and uh, people over, and it's it's been over thirty years. We we have had so much blessing and and uh, enjoyment there, uh, and and then of course in the front room now, there's the major Christmas tree, but there's another Christmas tree in the corner of the dining room, right? Yep. Yeah, and then the, and that's yeah, the yeah. one that attacked. That's the one that attacked me. <laughs> that's well, the, your Christmas tree attacked me. Table. Yeah, Christmas tree it's attacked tree me that one night. That's where it's four to five feet away from you, and <laughs> we're just sitting there laughing and talking and whatever. And all of a sudden, this Christmas ball—it didn't like come off the top of the tree and come down and slide off a branch. It shot straight out, straight out. Jumped. Four feet straight out from the tree, and, and hit Paul in the arm. Well, it stopped us all cold in our tracks. Going, <laughs> okay, we were, you know, and then Jill had already passed away by this time, and, and uh, right, that's right. I, I think we were, we were going. Okay, Jill's trying to get her point across somehow here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she yeah. Is, as if she hadn't already. Yeah, yeah. Jill was yeah, just yeah. like, who threw that at me? Jill. We all knew Jill did it. Yeah, yeah. My my partner Jill, uh, yeah, she was she was the one who would do. Yeah, it was Jill's spirit was in the Christmas tree, and she threw that damn ball at me. Yeah, that was hilarious, and it was just you and me and Gail. We I think we were playing cribbage or something that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably. Was, yeah, that was no, just we, totally, we, totally weird. <laughs> yeah, but we yeah we we used to love to sit at the at the dining room table there and uh, in front of the. The one, the uh, the one slider, the major slider, about to the deck there, and and 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The holidays were such a good time that we, 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 we relaxed. We really did. It was, uh, it was a, a time with, uh, the kids. And I, re- I remember, uh, well, then the other thing, uh, well, we'll get to it at the other side of this musical interlude. We'll, we'll wrap it up here with my family and my brother-in-law, Dale Martin.
Ray, a composition by J.S. Bach, uh, arranged in 1969 uh, by an English band called Jethro Tull. But the flute player on that particular recording was... Dale, are you still there? I'm here. Can you vouch for who played the flute on that recording? I can. Should I name the uh, culprit? Uh, <laughs> It was Mr. It, Paul it, Richardson. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was, it was I. It was a phony. It was a fake. That's right. It was a fake. Yeah, yeah. Yours truly played played the flute on that particular recording. Uh, Boray, Guitar Boray by uh, J.S. Bach, written in uh, uh, 16, 16, uh, 67. And uh, an arrangement by band Jethro Tull in 1969, which I re-recorded in 2005, I think it was. Yeah, and we had a good time out in the studio. Uh, the studio we uh, I, I once had in Woodenville, don't have it any longer, it was uh, quite a good place. Dale and I spent uh, a lot of time out there. Uh, Having a good, quite a good time listening to music, uh, playing music, and uh, taking photographs of the property. Uh, it was a, it was a, a, an enjoyable place. The studio was a, the studio was a great place. Um, I remember uh, one. I think it was right around Christmas. Um. Or yeah, it was right. It was in November, but you had uh, come over uh, and you drove uh, Gail's little sports car. That what was that? The red uh, TRX. Oh, a a red uh, Miata. Oh, a Miata. That's right. So, you know, Seattle, Seattle uh, uh, autumn and winters are not necessarily extreme. You know, it can be a little rainy and a little cool, but uh, anyway, Dale took uh, his wife's little Miata sports car, brought it over, and uh, I don't know what we were fooling around this to. We were always screwing around there. And and uh, so, oh, what? Jeez, uh, it's uh, starting to snow, right? Oh, well, well, uh, well, we won't worry about it. Oh, it's really starting to snow, right? Oh, well, it's really starting to pile up, Dale. I don't know. Maybe you, <laughs> it started coming down like crazy. So, uh, like, well, how are we going to get this little? How are we going to get you out of here? This little tin can that you remember? Do you remember this one? Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the the um, so uh, I went. I said, Jill, I don't. I don't think Dale's going to be going to be able to get out of here. So. Uh, we got the snow shovels, and because we had our drive. Here's what the problem with our driveway was: our driveway was our house was down in this little swoop down, kind of down in a in a hollow. It's kind of down in a valley. We were the bottom of this. There was a hillside all around us, and and actually, if you went up to the street where you actually turn into our house, if you stood up there, you could actually you were your eyes your line of sight was above our roof line. And so it was a it was a pretty steep drop down from the street and then down our driveway. There was a there was a um, 
you know, a, a little bit of our driveway, probably about 30, 30 feet. It was the shortest, but it was steep. And it's like, well, Jesus, Dale, if, if you don't, we got to shovel this off. So we all shoveled the crap out of it. Get out of here. Get all the snow out of here. But Dale's car was still stuck because he was, you were on the gravel or on the, uh, we're like, we still got to get you out of here. So we, Jill and I would push Dale and I said, just, just gun it and make sure you turn it at the right time. Otherwise you're going to go over the other, <laughs> over the road, the other side into the ditch. <laughs> yeah. Damn near did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this thing, this, this rocket went, this went shooting out of our driveway. Uh, it was like, I was, <laughs> I was watching you. You were, I don't know what you were thinking, but it was like, uh, it's a rocket out of control. At least he, he, he had to get up another hill. He had to get up to the top of the, of top of the street there too. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting, <laughs> but he didn't, he did not go over the other side into the ditch. That was, that was reassuring. How the rest of it, you got home. Yeah, because it was it was coming down. Yeah, really thick. Yeah, it was it was a little tricky getting there for sure. But I was shot out of there, fishtailing like crazy, and just going, "Oh, go over there!" And uh, <laughs> fishtailed up the top of the other hill and just kept going. I made it, but uh, no. But your your driveway your, your driveway is no picnic in the snow either, though, man. Your uh, your driveway is well, what about? True. Yeah, five hundred feet, right? Yeah, yeah, four hundred, yeah, uphill. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, yeah, it's uphill, and it's uh, that's when it starts snowing. You either got bi- get busy on it, or uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, what, remember, remember the one, remember the one uh, Christmas Eve that what did Jill Jill bought Gail all those. Uh, those uh, charger, those charger uh, plates that you use. You're supposed to, chargers are things that you use to warm up food. You know, you, you heat them and then you put the plates actually on top of the charger to keep the right to keep the food warm, right? Yeah. And Jill, right. Jill had, had Jill, uh, my partner Jill had bought for Gail, for Dale's wife, uh, all of these you know beautiful big clay chargers. They were beautiful, beautifully made and. But they weighed a ton. But we couldn't get up the driveway, right? I mean, it was like because the snow started. It was like we so we had to haul these. Uh, it was a couple of boxes of <laughs> up the driveway. Yeah, it was a. It was a. These things weren't out light. It could have been. They could have been hernia causing uh, type boxes. That we brought them up, but uh, it was. It was a. Uh, so I remember, I remember one year, um, I went down to pick up uh, uh, one of my daughters, Tracy, down at she was uh, uh, Christmas break from the University of Washington. So I picked her up, and it's starting to snow. So I get on I five and I go north, and by the time I get to 145th up there north, it's stopped, and uh, the off ramp was loaded. So I continued to drive slow, but got past the on ramp or the off-ramp, excuse me. And then it just comes to a complete stop. And I'm going, well, we got a long ways to go. I'm not going to sit here through all this. This is crazy. Well, the on-ramp coming down to go northbound on the same 145th Street, there was no cars on there. Nobody was obviously coming down to get on the freeway because it was a mess. 
and I was right there, and I went, Tracy, we're going up, we're going up the on ramp. She goes, Dad, you can't do that. And I said, Watch me. So I make, I make kind of like almost a U turn, and I go up the on ramp, and uh, and other people start to follow me. So now we drive all the way out to Woodenville to our home here, and I get home, and Gail's been watching the news, and she says, "You're famous." And I said, "What are you talking about?" She says. <laughs> They had some guy driving up the on-ramp, or the off-ramp, going up <laughs> getting off the freeway. And I made the 5 o'clock news, and I thought, that's pretty funny. Unfortunately, we never got a recording of that one, but uh, that was pretty good. But but I the other it. thing also, a major, yeah, major point also, that there's nothing that you could do that your wife wouldn't find about uh, find out about, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's nothing that Dale couldn't do. Yeah. You, you you could come home and say I'm not going to talk about it, but she'd already know about it, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh uh, yeah. Well, you know, Gail was a what a one of a sui generis, one of a kind, uh, brilliant, brilliant woman, um, absolutely brilliant. And and my partner, uh, Jill, also a brilliant gardener, brilliant. Well, also one of a kind. Uh, we've had our losses, yeah. but you know, we are. Christmas is about looking forward and promises of, and hopes of the future, I, I, I think. And we are going forward. And uh, so for everybody, uh, I, we only have a, a few minutes left here. Uh, being positive and going forward, it's it's all we have left to do, to do is to, to try and move forward. And, and, uh, and I know that what, you, that you, what you're doing is... Keeping things up, I mean, the house always looks great. You know, you you kept up everything. Uh, the house, I mean, Dale Dale is meticulous. Dale, nothing goes to rot at his house, and he's got a, a good a good a good place and a quite a good place and a, a a bit of stretch of land. And uh, but he's uh, he's out working on it too. He doesn't uh, he doesn't let it go. Uh, he keeps it up just the way it always has been. And we have come to the end of our program. Uh, and uh, let's give some thanks here for the joys of Christmas and the joys of our uh, our blessings and friendship. And uh, I hope that we will continue. We, we can do things when we work together. And uh, we, we end as we did with the Christmas traditions as we started. And as, as, as we started with the Christmas traditions of the Nutcracker, and these are dreams. These are dreams. These are Christmas traditions of dreams that can be realized. And just as I had made the point about uh, Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky, we never thought that what he did was really going to be any good. Uh, it turned out to be uh, one of the most blessed Christmas traditions of all time and we all can be that way we should all think of ourselves that way we have much positive to offer to the world and uh, I wish everyone a Merry Christmas I wish Dale and the family a Merry Christmas and all of you in Chicago and all around the country who are listening and streaming on uh, AM 820 WCPT and on uh, heartlandsignal.com I wish all of you a very Merry Christmas 
And we will talk to you in a week. And we'll talk about our New Year's blessings as well. Thanks for joining us. Okay, Dale.